Welcome to the Coffeehouse Footballcast. Uh, I'm Paul Cushing, and I'm here with Ryan Whiting. It's February 26, 2021, and we are here to tell you a story as to why we are here and what the game means to us and our journey with this podcast. All the little details and all the little tangents we hope to go on in the coming weeks, months, and hopefully years. Um, we're going to recap some of the games in Europe over the past week, and we're going to talk about the coffee house and what the coffee house means and why we called ourselves the Coffee House Football Cast. So I think I'm going to hear the anthem very shortly, and it's time to walk out. And the crowd goes mild. So, we were going to talk about our path to uh, getting to this podcast and how this actually came about. Paul and I are friends um, from work, and we've been talking about this for a couple months. We finally got one in the bag uh, last week after, again, a, a couple months of, yeah, we should definitely record a podcast. And uh, we kind of sort of are figuring it out from there. You wanted to talk about kind of how the game sort of got into us, I guess. How how the the spirit of football uh, took us as it. Yeah, I want to talk about like what what was uh, what was a moment that you had decided that like soccer was a, a love of yours, or what what brought you to the game, and and all of the things that like all of the little stories and little things that are, are bringing us here, and why we want to talk about the game, and in in the very specific way that we want to, because we have a. We don't, we're not here to just do recaps. Like, there's so many other things about the game that are so important to us. Like, we love the culture of the game. And, mm -hmm. you know, like, why, like, what fans, like, what what shoes fans are wearing. Um, and also, um, we want to talk about, you know, like, music uh, that is involved in the game. Like, food and all those types of things. And, like, the culture and, like, why clubs are the way they are and, and, and their, their history and, like, how... You know, Atletico Madrid is considered to like they're always feeling like they're like second best, and why they always feel like they're failing, and they call it pupas, and, and all of that. Like all those <laughs> things are really important, and yeah. we want to delve into that and, and give you this 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 um, unique experience as to why this is so important to us. So, um, I think I want Ryan to start with. I actually, so I actually have a question. Um, you were talking about shoes that the fans were wearing, and I have never seen whatever you are you are wearing right now what are, what are those so uh i'm currently wearing a pair of onizuka tiger tai chi reps um they're low they're low cuts they're super comfortable and they're kind of just chill out shoes i mean i see a lot of people wear like i mean in america sambas were a big deal like wearing yeah. like the sambas with the gum soles um when you go to Europe, it's like they have different, slightly different style of shoes too. Like they have the, I can't, I think Stan Smiths were super popular, and uh, Puma Kings at one point were really popular. And the thing is, is like there's like a whole um, culture with regards to, to all of that. It's kind of important for us to delve into, and I find it very cool. And and they kind of explore like where people go from there, and like how they root for their teams, or what was their choice? Was it from birthdom or or the fact that their dad slapped him in the face or something weird happened and they hated that team and they rooted for the opposing team. And how households look at the fact that one spouse plays for Arsenal and one is a fan of Tottenham or, or so and so on and so forth. And I think it's kind of fascinating. Poorly. Also, yes, that was a about a minute and a half chunk of time. 
dedicated to shoes. Shoes. Yeah. Shoes. Come for the football. Stay for the shoes. <laughs> um, guess we'll kind of get into how I got into football. And I did not take a regular path, I guess. Um, I didn't grow up playing it. I actually wasn't super, like, I wasn't a huge fan uh, until probably my early teens when I picked up a game. I'm pretty sure it was winning 11-2. And forgive me if uh, forgive me if I'm wrong, but there was a team that was called Highlands. And I was like, that sounds cool. And they wore referee uniforms. And, uh, and I thought that was neat. And this thing happened. I couldn't score goals with anybody. Um, I didn't understand football. But I did understand something. I had this one guy that if I got him the ball, he would bang it home for me and I would win games. You know who that man was? That man was Alan Shearer. Alan Shearer. And a love affair was born with Newcastle United because Alan Shearer scored me goals when I didn't know how to play football in a video game when I was like 14 years old um, and, it, and it stuck for whatever reason it stuck and uh, over the years I've drifted in and out of a lot of sports and in how much I actually follow uh, sports depending on you know how busy I get in life but there's always been this this love of the it's not even the pageantry or the like of the of the storylines and the fact that it's so ubiquitously universal just how everyone can look at a game kind of look at which team is better which team is worse and you can go anywhere in the world and they just understand this concept it's just something very primal and human about it and it's it's always stuck with me uh that and the fact that they will kick like 50 yards screaming rockets with curve that like drop directly onto a guy who's running at full speed's foot and it's ridiculous absolutely ridiculous and it's basically magic to me um how about you how'd you get here um my journey is um a different one um soccer at, at the time uh early 90s i would say um was just really gathering a foothold in the united states um i was about seven years old six or seven years old and I, um, my parents signed me up because they wanted me to play a sport. Um, and it was either soccer or baseball because they didn't want me to play football. <laughs> um, I was too small and et cetera, et cetera. I'm thankful for that actually because, um, Sometimes. I would, I would, I don't think I would be walking at this point. <laughs> um, but anyway, I, I, it was something that didn't initially, um, catch on with me until I was about eight or nine and I was a goalie uh, I, I was a goalkeeper or they called me a goalie at the time and I was Paul Wall uh, <laughs> because I never let anything in and I, I was just in love with it and then as as I got older I learned I started beginning loving the game um, just by playing it all the time and, and just constantly being at practice and my parents ended up working for um, the Lenny Soccer um, Association um, uh, to work, help work on the fields and to make their lives a little bit easier because they were down there all the time anyways with my sis two sisters and I. And um, what would happen is, what happened and what really turned my love for the game from just like a, like a small love into a much bigger one was a cousin of mine one Easter gave me 
FIFA 99 for <laughs> PC. And then my whole world had been opened up to this whole thing that I had never seen before. Uh, my, my only real introduction to soccer, like, um, like with regards to clubs and things like that, was the MLS. When that was like, they first started and it was... It was really rough, and they had all these weird rules, and they had like a thirty-five-yard <laughs> shootout and all of this. Um, and I remember thinking, "Oh my goodness, what what is this like? What is this whole game?" And, and I just started reading about it and um, exploring it. And and then at, at, with with that, the the mental side of the game, and constantly watching and understanding how players move and and like formations and stuff from from FIFA, I started to read about it, and I was. My parents gave me books on goalkeeping and, and um, Dutch softer tactics and, and all of this. And I, I remember very distinctly um, spending time on the street a lot and playing on the street. I lived on this dead-end street in Lynn, um, right near General Electric, and there was a fence, a barbed wire fence. Um, and what would happen is um, every day I'd get out of school, I'd get my ball, and I'd start dribbling on the on the pavement, and had these like high curbs over by the barbed wire fence and I would pass against it and if I passed perfectly against the, the curb it would come right back to me and if not it would bounce up and be a whole mess um, and as we got as, as I went from passing to shooting um, I would be hitting it against the fence and they had the poles um, the chain link fence would have the poles so I'd set it up and it'd be three chain link fences and there's one in the middle and two on the sides and that was my pole um, and what would happen is, is there were times I would hit it over, and my dad bought a PVC pipe for me, and I dug a hole underneath uh, the fence to get the ball back. And I can't think about how many times uh, I would do that, and how many balls I lost, and and uh, and, um, and I just remember all I would do is spend time in the field um, if I wasn't on the street. Um, I would, I it helped me stay out of trouble. It was a time when I was really struggling. I would have a ball at my feet and things would be fine. And it was the time, the place I felt really open and was able to open up to people and talk to people about things. So this game means the world to me. Um, and I can't be more thankful for all the gifts that it's given me and the ability to coach the way I have and to give the knowledge that I have to other people and to share this with people today. Um, so I think that's a pretty good segue to, um, we had said that we were going to explain why we're here, like how we got here, and now why we're here. And I, I think we both are pretty unified in, in a couple of the things. Um, there is a love for this game that I have, and I know Paul has because we've talked about it. Pretty much every time we've seen each other for, I don't know, six months at this point. Um, and I'm sure that everyone around us uh, is very sick of hearing us talk about it. Um, so we're going to share it with you. Uh, we want to share our passion and our love um, for the game and, you know, some of the knowledge. Because a lot of... And this is a generality, but a lot of Americans are outsiders to the game. Hell, I'm an outsider to the game. Uh, but we kind of want to bridge that gap. You'd say we want to bridge the gap? Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, and maybe bring 
a kind of a culture and some understanding and maybe help grow the game in the way that we have to, to help grow it? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I have so many uh, anecdotes and stories and, and things to share from my past and playing and, and, and meeting people that um, will help hopefully open, uh, open eyes and, and share and, and hopefully have other people share with us what, what, that, uh, what that means to you, to us which is exactly what I want. Um, because the game is a community. This whole thing is about community, about sharing uh, parts of the game with each other. I can't tell you how many times I've met people and um, you know, we've played at our bare feet on the sand or on the grass field or even on the tarmac or on the, on the pavement. You know, like I've, I've played with Brazilians on a futsal court in the middle of nowhere. I've played with the, the Swiss. Uh, I've played in Scotland uh, overseas. With a bunch of a bunch of uh, Scottish guys like being hard on me and pushing me on the tackle, and, um, <laughs> being big Scottish boys, <laughs> and be, you know, and it's it's a fascinating and uh, beautiful game, and the fact that you can go anywhere and all you have to do is bring your feet, and hopefully someone has a ball. And what you could also do is just pack up a whole bunch of socks together, or kept, keep on wrapping rubber bands and and do that too. It's I mean the game is is found anywhere and it's the most wonderful thing um, and that I can express uh, on a regular basis and I'm happy to share it with you today. You uh, you should see the joy just his face is beaming as he is talking about this <laughs> we'll, we'll get video for you someday maybe I'll post it on Instagram just as he's talking about this there's this moment of transcendence um, so I, I guess that's our, our stated mission statement. We want you to maybe love soccer, this this beautiful game, football, whatever you want to call it, maybe half as much as we do. Hopefully as much as we do. But if we can give you any, any understanding and joy for it, that's what we're here for. We hope you are too. So uh, that being said, you want to get into the recaps? Let's do it. All right, we have some, some interesting games in the Champions League and Europa League this past week. Um, let's start with Atletico and Chelsea because I found that to be a fascinating uh, match due to the fact that um, Atletico kind of laid an egg uh, on Tuesday. They were really poor, and they lost 1-0 to a Giroud overhead kick, which was absolutely amazing. And every day that he plays for Chelsea... The deal that, that Arsenal made with Chelsea looks worse and worse and worse. Um, it was uh, it was an excellent match. Uh, Ryan, what did you think about it? Drew uh, can't keep getting away with this. He's got to be, what, 35? He is 35, yep. yeah. Yeah. Uh, or 34, late 34. Yeah. I'm, I'm several years younger than him, and I am certain that I would have hurt myself uh, try, attempting. Not even, not even connecting, just attempting uh, his overhead kick. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so that's basically my expert analysis. Um, so why don't you actually tell me a little bit more about the uh, the Arsenal uh, Chelsea deal that was made? Oh, so uh, this happened like two, three years ago. Um, Arsenal were starting to transition. Um, they were just in the beginning of the transition from Arsene Wenger moving to uh, moving on and then moving to a new direction, uh, which they're currently, you know, barely keeping their head above water at this point. Halfway uh, in the middle of. Yeah, they're, it's still, it's a struggle. But um, nonetheless, they um, 
They sold Giroud because they weren't playing him a lot, and they thought that he was done. And it's making it's becoming more and more clear that he wasn't. And the thing, the reason why he was never done is because he's a guy. He's a player based on power and and uh, it's it's skill and technique and um, awareness and uh, movement. You know, he's not a he's not a player of pace, so he's always going to score goals for you. It doesn't matter, and it doesn't matter when and where, how old he is. He could score goals at forty-two because he doesn't. He's never relied upon for his pace. Um, and I thought it was a really bad deal for Arsenal. I know that they were trying to balance the books and they were trying to offer Giroud a place to um, to play and to be competitive somewhere else. And it since he's left, Giroud has scored more goals than uh, Arsenal in the Champions League because Arsenal have not been in Champions League since he's left. Um, because they miss a player of Giroud's captain. <laughs> I don't know about that. I wouldn't go that far, but it... it it is a very, it's very interesting, um, some of the deals that Arsene have made over the past uh, few years, and I think that was a mistake, because he would still be a pretty valuable piece to the, to the team that are there currently. He would probably have started a few games somewhere this year. Um, but uh, going back to the Atletico, <laughs> it's very interesting. Atletico have been one of the best teams in Europe all season, and I think over the last three or four weeks, they've stuttered a little bit, and form is dipping. The form dipped a little bit, and I think the problem that they had on Tuesday is that they reverted back to their old type instead of sticking to what they had been doing. I always worry about this with Diego Simeone when he plays some of these top-caliber teams. He he gets a little conservative. He, he wants to... Yeah, he gets a little conservative. I think he also... There's also a... Um, he's so worried about giving up goals, he's not willing to be as open as he has been in La Liga this year. You know, and I think part of the reason why they've won so many games is because they have been a little bit more open, but they've been very, still very solid at the back. Would you say it's like a, oh God, what's it called? The Italian style. Like Catanaccio? Catanaccio. Yeah, I mean, in a way, it's his own intense style of Catanaccio, yeah. Like, I mean, it's definitely Even, even with the fouling and the, it, it's, I would say a direct successor. <laughs> well, I mean, in, in Argentina, I mean, back, <laughs> Back in the '60s and stuff, they took from Catanaccio, and then and and they were a direct like um, you know dissonance to the yeah. Brazilian style, even though they were still very um, you know skillful players on the Argent in in Argentina at the time. Um, so I do think that's very much part of Simeone's background because he he played in Italy for a long time, and he's Argentine, and he moved to Spain, and he was kind of a hero for Atletico, and now he's you know. You know, even even despite some of his fail, like some of the failures, he's still very much a, a savior to them. I mean, he yeah. brought them back yeah. to a place where they're con- consistently fighting for for trophies. And maybe the style isn't always the greatest, but it's it's fascinating um, to see what he's brought to Atletico over the past ten years. I mean, they've been one of the best teams. I would say top five teams in Europe over the past ten years. Um, so and, I actually I want to go back because. Uh, it occurs to me that we, we used a, a, a term and um, to describe kind of what he reverted back to, and people might not actually know what Catanaccio is. How would you, how would you describe it? In, in a brief summary, because um, I, can, I can describe it, uh, don't let the other guys score no matter what, and kick them in the knees if they try. 
Um, what, how would you describe it? Um, I would say Catanaccio is a very um, distinct style of defensive play where, um, you know, there's a system, there are systems to, to stop players, uh, specific players from playing all the time, um, and to force players into specific positions regularly. And to the thing is, is people forget about Catanaccio, is it's not just defending, they also have found a very specific way to attack or to counterattack to score goals. Right. Um, in the early 60s, Milan was one of the highest scoring teams in Serie A. I think they, they may have the highest goal tally ever in yeah. the early 60s. I can't maybe late 50s, but they they played a Catanaccio style and yeah. won. You know, uh, Inter Milan played a Catanaccio style. They also scored a lot of goals in the mid-60s, too. Um, and so it, there's this, like, kind of weird, um, there's, like, a weird dichotomy with the style of play. And Simeone definitely plays in that sort of realm. I mean, it, the, the game is much different now, so it's not like a full Catanaccio, and they do attack yeah. probably more than some of these other teams. But, I mean, their first their first real thought is to not allow the other team to score and then to score after. Uh, Catanaccio kind of... Uh... I believe means unbroken chain. Right? Yes. Yeah. yeah, and that's and that kind of is is what it's supposed to be. Like you never break the links of the chain. Right. You're always strong defensively. And uh, my understanding is it's it's had a profound impact on Italian soccer still, where uh, where they are still very very structured and organized. Many of these teams. It's very interesting. I would say in the last like five to seven years, you're starting to see like more open play in Italy uh, than you've ever seen before. You started to see the reintroduction to a 3-5-2 in Italy, which yep. hadn't been for a very long time, and I think part of it is because Catanaccio had wrung out, like, and strung, <laughs> had become so strung out because everyone was playing that way that yep. they, some teams just decided to go, forget it, let's right, just, whatever. let's go for it, because <laughs> right. there's, if we sit back and defend, the other team's also going to do that too, yep. or... Juventus or some of these top teams have like some of the best players yeah, in the world. Or honest, regardless, yeah, we might as well try and get a couple. When they have like Zlatan Ibrahimovic or you know the original Ronaldo or any of these players, they're gonna you know they're gonna find a way to score a goal. So it's like we might as yeah. well you know be play a little bit more. I mean, in, in the last four or five years, I mean, it's been very clear the style has been slightly different. There are definitely still Catanaccio principles in a lot of some yeah. of the play, but. You know, it's it's a different. There, it's a much different style than you would say even twenty years ago, twenty five years ago. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, so I'm I'm bringing this up because uh, Catanaccio principles will probably come up more, uh, especially if we talk about oh, say I don't know Tottenham. Um, with Jose, yes. With uh, Jose Mourinho, and uh, specifically to uh, to Diego Simeone. 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 Oh, there's a knee at the end of that. All right. Um, I mean, I know there's a knee at the end of it. I didn't know it made a sound. Yes. Um, okay, so I've, I've distracted you enough. We can go back into uh, into Chelsea versus Atletico. Actually, I think um, we're actually I think we're in good shape for the Chelsea and Atletico. We we covered a lot of that. I think Chelsea <laughs> um, have the away goal, but I'm not. I wouldn't be surprised if Atletico go to Chelsea and win two 0 I mean, they went yeah. to Liverpool last year before the pandemic ended or started. Excuse me, ended before it started and. They won an extra time over Liverpool, who were the reigning like, European champions. Best and, team in the world. And they in <laughs> in the first forty five minutes, Liverpool had chances to, to end yeah. it and they didn't do it. And so I think 
um, there's still very much the opportunity for Atletico to, to turn it around. And, you know, I don't, I still, one goal. it's one goal. <laughs> yeah. And I still don't trust Chelsea yet. I mean, I know Tuchel has brought in some things, but I, I still don't know if they're going to be able to be consistent enough to do it in the second leg. They are so, still very young. They're very young, and I don't know if the systems have been put in place just yet to, to, to you know, produce this second result mm-hmm. in the way that Tuchel wants it. Um, but it is very clear that I that maybe Chelsea have made the right decision with Tuchel, um, but I'm not so sure yet. I still think they should have given Lampard a little bit more time. But I, I would have liked to have seen Lampard have more time. I think he was going to bring a very, very interesting brand of football, um, but he'll, he'll get hired somewhere else. Yes. Uh, so Man City versus uh, you want you want me to try it or do you do I'll you want to try it? Borussia Mönchengladbach. Mönchengladbach. Yeah, Borussia Mönchengladbach. Borussia Mönchengladbach. Yeah, there you go. Perfect. All right. Yeah. All right. So yeah, uh, and Man City won this one. Yep. Two nil. Two nil. Um, what are your thoughts on the game? It was, I mean, it was a typical Man City performance. They absolutely dominated, yeah. and it they're. They're in there. They're in, they're back to the way they were a couple years ago. I think they're actually better than they were two years ago. I said this last week. They are they are the best team in Europe right now, and I think they're better than they were before. And I don't think they're going to have one of these games like they had in the past in the Champions League, like uh, against Tottenham and, and Liverpool in the past, which tripped them up, where they just have the stinker and lose three 0 they're not going. They're not going to have those games. They're too good defensively. They'll lose only one nil, or they'll tie one one, and they'll still be in the next tie. And then they'll throw everything forward, and they're going to win three or four nil. Most likely, they're they're going to be in the final. I think they're they're going to play in the final. I don't know who they'll play against, but but you think it's it's going to be Man City? It's very. It, it's looking clearer and clearer unless they find Bayern in the quarters of the and semis. Bayern can be a soul destroying monster for a game. It's it's gonna be a very interesting. That would be a very interesting tie because Bayern aren't at their best and they haven't. They've been struggling the Bundesliga a little bit. They were up like nine points at one point and now it's down back down to two. So I, I'm not completely sold. But when it gets to the Champions League, I mean they destroyed Lazio right. um, and Lazio looked like they were scared to play Bayern. Right. But in a game like in a game where you're facing off against Man City, who are probably going to win the Premier League. Oh, they're yeah, they're winning. Yeah, yeah there's so no, there's no doubt about it. Yeah. So they're going to win uh, their own league, and they're probably at least going to be playing for the finals of the Champions League, which is which is the biggest league in Europe, sort of. I mean, it's the it's the greatest club title in the world. Right. I mean, even more than the Club World Cup. I mean, the people dream to win the Champions League in Europe. Right. That's that's the goal. So so Man City is is going to be the best team in Europe, and uh, and. When you're facing off against them, a, a team like uh, Bayern is is going to uh, probably going to show up. I would I would say yes, they, they have they, the players for that. Yeah, so. they 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 have yeah. that will be a test. And I just what I worry about with Bayern is defensively they're very they can be very suspect at times. And yeah. all it takes is one game. I mean, Man City can put six past you in, against any team yeah. at any time. And Quick. Though they haven't it can been, happen quick. They haven't been that, um, even though they haven't been that excellent attacking-wise this year, they haven't scored as many goals as they have in the past. They're still, I mean, they're still scoring like two and a half or three goals a game. They don't have They're creating tons of chances. I mean, yeah. the game against Arsenal last week, they 
I mean, they they won they won one nil, but I mean, it looked at times like they were just casually going about the game, and at any point they could have turned it on and scored two or three more goals. I mean, it was even though Arsenal I thought played pretty well in the second half, and you know, even though they didn't create a ton of chances, I thought they they had more control of the game. It just felt like any time Man City wanted to attack, they got into the, the Arsenal 18 and could have taken a shot on target, but decided to to move around the ball around a little bit. Uh, Man City is currently walking into your kitchen and taking your cookies, and there is very little you can do about it. Yeah, and they're doing it to everyone. Yeah, it's. It, I think the the scary <laughs> thing is is that they're not giving up any goals. Yeah. you know, it's it's so it's actually a really scary thing because that's the one part of Guardiola's teams that would always, you know, be the question mark. It's like, are they going to be able to hold up over ninety minutes against some of these better teams? And that's not happening anymore. They're just not giving yeah, up just, chances. Yeah. I mean, the, I mean, in the Arsenal game, I think they gave up one shot on target, maybe two shots on target. Yeah, it, it was a very low number, and they gave up a couple dumb, of you know chances. But a lot of the time, Arsenal would get to like to the edges of the box and move the ball around side to side, but they'd never get into the box and be able to take a real chance on target. And that is that is how to not allow teams to score. And Ederson's an excellent goalkeeper. I mean, he's, he's definitely good enough to, you know, start promote almost all of the national teams except Brazil because, of course, Allison is a starting goalkeeper for Brazil. But right. it's, it's, it's a, they're, to me, they're the best club team in the world right now. Um, and I don't think there's um, any, should be any debate about it right now either. Yeah. Um, uh, and an interesting bit of uh, U.S. national news, uh, the backup goalkeeper for Man City uh, is Zach Steffen. Yeah, Zach Steffen, yeah. Starting goalkeeper for the uh, United States men's national team. Yep. Yeah. He has started a couple of Premier League games, too, this year. Yeah. He's, he's slowly he's being integrated. surprisingly and, yeah. high number of games this year, actually. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I expect him to go on loan at some point next year um, to when, find uh, playing time. Because their, their backup keeper is injured. That is something that we should stay with, uh, with Zach Steffen kind of stepping in, in that role. Yeah. Um, and he's, he's going to be back eventually. Yeah. Uh, and Steffen will probably go on loan. Unless he just outright wins the job. Yeah. Uh, um, so we've been talking about Arsenal uh, in the context of Man City. So uh, it never takes very much to get you to talk about them. Uh, but they moved on. They moved on. They moved on by the skin of their teeth, but they moved on. Um, it was Aubameyang. Aubameyang in like the 88th minute. And Tierney had an excellent goal as well. Yep. Um, and it was a very interesting game. I stayed up really late to watch the replay of it last night. And... Um, Arsenal were in control of large portions of the match. Um, they, I mean, they were moving the ball pretty easily, even though Ars, uh, Benfica were pressing really high. I mean, they were pressing really high. They were playing, essentially pressing in Arsenal's box at times when the defenders were moving. But Arsenal were moving the ball around fairly quickly around them and getting into Benfica's attacking third fairly easily. Um, uh, so just a brief, um, brief recap for people who don't know. Arsenal is Paul's favorite team. Um, they play in England, they play in London, and uh, Benefica is a Portuguese team. Yes, out of Lisbon. Out of Lisbon. Yes. Um, They, um, so yeah, so um, um, I thought there were some wonderful uh, movements of play um, that Arsenal had created. Um, They were kind of a little susceptible to the counter from time to time. uh, Benefica did create a couple of chances, and the two goals that Benfica had scored um, were uh, was from one a bad foul by Davis Valls outside the box, in which um, Gonzalez hit up 
excellent free kick that was just it was post is postage stamp into the top corner. It was beautiful. Leno had no chance and um, was a Ceballos mistake on a on a counter. Um, uh, the goalkeeper Lech from Benfica hit a ball long and the ball's in the air. Um, Ceballos sees it. It's coming down and instead of Ceballos like clearing it away. Um, he tries to play it back to Leno, and he mishits, mishits the head. And then all of a sudden, um, the player's in on goal, beats Leno, and just taps it into the back of the net. And you sit there, and you're like, how is this happening right now? Right, like so very Arsenal. <laughs> so very Arsenal. And so I have to do all this hard work now to get to win the tie. I mean, Tierney had an excellent game. I thought Saka was also excellent. His, mm-hmm. his through ball to Aubameyang for the first goal was amazing. And and his his pass for for the second was also amazing. That cross over the top was like, if Aubameyang had missed that, it would have been the worst miss I had ever seen. He literally just had to touch his head onto it. It was an open hole. Well, you know, it was beautiful, and he was like two yards away, less than two yards away. I mean, it was it was perfect. It was kind of Aubameyang's game. Yeah, he gets to those split those spaces. Oh yeah, he always he'll find. I mean, if you can. He loves to get in behind. And yeah, he was excellent. If you I can get him the ball somewhere dangerous, he he will score it. That's he will score he goals. He his first <laughs> finish was excellent. Um, he was good. Um, he's starting to find form. He's starting to score goals. He there are times where I wish he does more. Like I don't think he does a lot of. Uh, he doesn't hold the ball up well, and I think sometimes with Arsenal they they like that. Um, also, I would say um, would Odegaard. You say sorry. Okay. I'm I'm going to cut in for a second. Would you say that he's uh, a classic poacher, Aubameyang? Uh, yeah, no, he's. It's interesting. He's. He's kind of a poacher. He's he's kind of a um, he's more of a counterattack player to right. me. Like he's like a guy that you want to get in the channels after you've won the ball from deep and get him moving in open space because I think that's where he's his deadliest. Um, so I mean, but they they found a, at Arsenal they found ways for him to be super effective even yeah. when they have the ball and, and he's been he's been playing on the wing. Yeah, he's been playing on the wing, but he also he comes into the middle a lot. I mean, that's yeah. part of what he does, and I think he's been excellent. He's excellent in finding spaces everywhere. Like mm-hmm. whenever there's free space, like the goal for Saka, I mean, um, from Saka, the first goal was was him like kind of making like a little mazy run, like finding the defender he knew he could beat. And then Saka waiting for the moment and putting in a slide rule pass or like a uh, reverse pass into his area. Yeah. And it was a beautiful, beautiful. He took Saka took out six players and that, with that one ball, and it was just beautiful. It was a beautiful, beautiful goal. Um, I wanted to go back. Um, Odegaard was. I thought Odegaard was excellent for them. Mm-hmm. He moved the ball um, constantly. It was constantly of outlet for the team, and he always he was very quick to move move the ball to the um, the opposite flank which I always thought was great. Sometimes it was a little, the ball wasn't perfect, but for the most part, I thought he was putting people in time, uh, in rhythm, so that the ball could keep moving. Um, he had a couple of wayward passes, but, I mean, he's still trying to find his feet, and he's still, I would say, a little rusty because he only had played, like, three games in the three months previous or something like that. So um, he he was excellent. Um, Ceballos was... He was nervy. He was. He was not. I. You know. I have to say, uh, if you're an Arsenal fan, I would be very. I would not. I don't know if I would want him at the club on a permanent basis. I think Mikel Arteta likes him, but there's something about his game that is. 
he's missing some composure. He's missing something. He's he can be very inconsistent. Um, it was good to see Partey back, and um, I still think um, their best back line is Pablo Murray and Rob Holding. They had Gabrielle, who was very good, um, and David Luiz. Um, David Luiz, I think, is either gone or he's going to be part of the coaching staff next year. I don't know if yeah. he's going to have a prominent role as a defender next year, but um, I'm happy that they're still there. And David Luiz is a total professional when he plays, so it's good to have him there. Um, <laughs> And Tierney was back. He still looks a little off of it completely, but he scored an excellent goal, and I think he's kind of on his way back. Um, yeah. Yeah, and they have a game against Leicester this weekend, which I don't expect them to do anything with because they're just, I think, they're just happy to move on. I think they'll be looking to see if they can do different things. And Leicester right. might be down, too, so we'll see kind of how that game is. It might be a bit of a dud, unfortunately. Um, yeah. uh, so you want to spare a moment for your, your vanquished foes? Uh you don't have to get into specifics with Benfica, but maybe explain um, them as a kind of where they are in the the footballing hierarchy, I guess. So Benfica is uh, is an they're I would call the a sleeping giant of some sort. They're I mean they're they are and they aren't. It's it's very interesting. They have years they're in the Champions League and they're competing well, and then they're years in the Europa League, and they they were one of the big time clubs back in the sixties, seventies. Consistently in the Champions League, uh, or you should say the European Cup, and they were great to finals and winning finals, etc. Yeah, this is yeah the precursor to the Champions League. Excuse me, and oh, um, and and so they have always been considered one of the top teams um, in Europe. I would say over the last twenty years or twenty five years, when when the game is kind of globalized and these big five leagues have kind of taken hold of of Europe, um, they've sort of fallen to the wayside and they've become more of a developing club for some of these bigger teams um, they they're still considered to be a very dangerous team to play and they still generally win titles in Portugal on a regular basis and when they do play in Europe they are um, considered to be a very uh, difficult team to beat most times not every year uh, there are certain years that they've lost a lot of players and they're not as strong as they used to be I mean there are a lot of players that um have come from there. I mean, Angel de Maria has played for Benfica. Um, even players like, um, uh, as a team yesterday, Yamatanga was there. Yep. Nicholas Otamendi, so Yamatanga was a Tottenham player. Um, uh, Nicholas Otamendi was a Man City player for a while. Um, they have a bunch of uh, players who have played and have been excellent for them um, in the past. And, I, you know, they, they will always be competitive and have a proper team uh, competing uh, on a regular basis. David Luiz played for Uh, yeah, okay. So, we've talked about uh, Arsenal, we've talked about Man City, uh, Chelsea, and Atletico Madrid. Let's talk about the uh, other Madrid team real quickly. Um, they played Atalanta, and that kind of was an interesting... Uh... Yeah, Atalanta went down uh, to 10 men early on, and Madrid, uh, Real Madrid uh, hung on for a one uh, one nil victory, which they scored late on, um, it, which is which is not great for Real Madrid. Uh, when a team like Atalanta goes down, a man, you probably got to put him to the sword. I, you know, it's fascinating <laughs> because the red card that was given, I thought, was very harsh, and um, you know, I they they 
The referee gave a red card because he thought he was the last man. I didn't think that was the case. I thought that if there were defenders running in to, to stop the ball, I thought it wasn't a clear goal scoring opportunity. I thought it was a really harsh red card. Unfortunately, the referee gave the red card right away instead of just a yellow. Yeah. So when they looked back at it, there was not they couldn't change anything. Um, uh, do you want to explain the uh, the clear goal scoring red card uh, last man back rule? Sure. Um, so um, the last man, so like a clear goal scoring opportunity is when uh, a player is considered to be one on one and they have a really high opportunity of scoring. And what ends up happening is a defender tackles or takes them out or takes a player out to stop that chance from happening. Generally, that is an automatic red card because um, because to stop a goal from scoring uh, is, uh, I guess, the, one of the highest penalties you can you know, create. Yeah. And generally, it's in the box. It's not outside the box. Yeah. And um, and so what happens is they have to offer, they have to give the red card because there's no other uh, punishment that they can give that would justifying or justifiable for um, the team that lost the goal. Um, so people say it's double jeopardy or um, a double penalty because you get the penalty, penalty on the box and, the red, and the red card. But I think it can be fair, especially if um, especially if it was um, intentional. You know, yeah. like sometimes it's not intentional and I think it's unfortunate and I do believe sometimes it could be a red card. I mean, yellow card, excuse me. But uh, um, especially in this game, it was an intentional thing, but he was... But there are times where it's it's questionable, and sometimes they, they yeah. give out red cards, um, and I don't think necessarily that is um, is fair. And I thought that was the case in this game. Now, okay. Real didn't really. I didn't think Real played all that well after that, even even with Atalanta down to ten men. And I, you know, of all the teams that uh, would go down to ten men, um, Real should have done more. I thought. Yeah. Atalanta's. I mean, not that they're not a great defensive team, but they're 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 um, they attack. Right. You know, that's their game. They they're a free flowing side that's like to score goals. And and I thought, you know, it just showed that Real are not at their best. And even if they move on from this round, I don't see them moving past the next round. The next, you know, they're I guess they're still very much a team just figuring out who they are and what it is that. Um, is going to make them great, and I. It's amazing that Eden Hazard has no, has been essentially nowhere in yeah. the rest of this yeah. team for the last two years. Even though they signed him, he's been a ghost. Um, yeah. and that's a ridiculous because he was probably the best player in the Premier League while he was while he was there, or yeah. at least up there. Yeah, um, and he just hasn't hasn't shown up. Yeah, has, has never really shown up for uh, Real. Yeah. Uh, so we got a couple more games that we were going to talk about. Uh, Leverkusen losing to uh, Young Boys. You want to touch on that quickly? Uh, yeah, this is a quick one. Um, uh, there were just a couple upsets oh, right. in, the, in the Europa League specifically. And uh, uh, Leverkusen went out to Young Boys. Young Boys had an amazing first match. They you know blew the doors out to Leverkusen. And then they, you know, Leverkusen were trying to get back, so they had to go all attack. And that pretty much. Um, and Young Boys held on. They, they played really well in Germany and, and you know won the tie, which it was sort of fascinating. Um, Leverkusen have been pushing for the top four in, yeah. in Germany this year, and they have a very good young squad. I just think they had a just a bad couple of days um, in in Switzerland. And then the other one is uh, Leicester losing to Slavia Prague, which 
was also a very big surprise. Um, yeah. Brendan Rodgers hasn't had the best record in Europe, um, unfortunately, but he. It, I'm I'm more wondering if this is uh, this more has to deal with the fact that they they have a more important task coming up, which is to get to the Champions League. And yeah. they, they will have a fight on their hands for the last 13 or 14 games. And they their their schedule is going to be difficult. I mean, they did win against Liverpool recently. They have Arsenal coming up on Sunday, which I'm, I'm not so sure how this is all going to go because I wonder if Leicester are going to have a really full-strength um, side that are going to want to come back and fight because of what happened on Thursday or if they're going to be flat because they lost on Thursday. I don't know. I, I expect the, the former. I expect them to be all guts blazing, and I think Arsenal I, I are going to be. I think they're really... going to try and thrash you. <laughs> yeah, I think, well, I think Arsenal are going to be really flat because they also know that Arsenal knows too that the, this this season is lost. They're, right, you're just trying to get to like tenth and stick around. I think, yeah, if, if they can, if somehow Arsenal finish seventh, sixth, or seventh, I think it would be a massive achievement right. at this point. They've had a really long and hard season, and if you're going to be mid table. Sixth, yeah, if we had finished high mid-table, I think it's uh, at the best of the rest sort of thing. I think yeah. that would be okay. And um, I think this game is, is Leicester's for the taking. Uh, yeah. I think they're going to be out to out for blood, and um, I think Arsenal are going to be flat. Um, I have I have a Vardy for a hat-trick. That's my... You think so? I, I don't think... I think it's going to be like 2-1 to one or 3-2 to two or yeah. something like that, but, um, but yeah, I definitely think uh, Vardy's going to have a say. I think Vardy yeah. will be the Party, party will get one. Match, yeah, yeah. Um, um, I, I've seen your defense. Uh, <laughs> they've been, they haven't been terrible this year, but they were pretty. Oh man, that was such a rough game yesterday. Um, but yeah, um, I think that's it for now. We have some uh, games coming up uh, this weekend. We have Leicester Arsenal. We have Chelsea Man United. Um, and I'm trying to think if there's any other important games right now. I, I can't remember any off, off the top of my head, but. Um, um, do you have any expectations for this week? Uh, uh, I get to watch Arsenal get beat by Leicester. Um, that's just that's a direct shot. That's all that was was a direct shot. Yeah. Well, so Newcastle is home to Wolves uh, this weekend. How about how, how's Newcastle going to do this weekend? So, so okay. well, well, uh, let's uh, let's ask a deeper question. What uh, what is going on with Newcastle right now? What is what is happening? So, I believe any the, news that you any new news that you know about the this? general consensus is um, no one has any idea. Uh, we have we have two coaches. Um, we've been okay lately. That's about all you'll get out of uh, out of Newcastle. Um, Miggy Almiron, Miguel Almiron has been fantastic for us. Uh, he's really really um, kind of shown that he is a player that's going to stick around in the Premier League. He's only 26. He's He is all over the field, all game. Um, and, you know, he, he's scoring goals now, which he, he was struggling with um, and I think was always just kind of a confidence thing because he was he was getting there. Yeah. Uh, more interestingly, because uh, Newcastle are very sad and, uh, and very boring. Um, well, unless you like dumpster fires. But... Uh, but wolves, wolves are the kind of team that um, maybe we should maybe we should explain. So wolves is trying to be the Portuguese national team. Um, <laughs> is that is that what we're gonna talk about? I, I was thinking like they have a super agent and they're trying to. 
So I, like, I actually so all think... the players from that super region, right? Is it like Jorge Mendez? Is that who it, it is? Yeah. yeah, Jorge Mendez. And um, I actually think it's a concerted effort to kind of do the Barcelona thing, where they get as many of the good Portuguese players as they can on one team, and then like, and they play together all year. So then like you get into the World Cup, and, uh, and they have played together um, a ton okay. already. I, I actually believe that that's, I don't know if that's like a confirmed thing, but it's, it seems fairly likely. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so they, they have this one agent who is a consultant to the club, and they sign a lot of his players, uh, and most of them seem to be Portuguese. Uh, and they are designed kind of like in a, in a weird way. They're very good, and it seems like they almost are there to take the big team scalps. Uh, like, they, they want to win 2-1 against, like, Man City and Liverpool and all of these all of these great teams. And then they'll play, like, Newcastle. And it's going to be surprisingly game because they're not going to be... I, it's, it's, hard to, it's hard to explain. I feel it's because they play defensive with the ability to score goals. Yeah. Wonder goals. Like, when... It, a lot of their goals are irrelevant. Uh, the defense is, is not irrelevant, but they're scoring 36-yard bombs and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, Wolves are interesting. Uh, Wolves, they've, had, they've struggled this year. They've, it's not been an easy season for them. They've, they've had some really tough um, uh, patches and injuries. Um, uh, Raul Lipness hasn't been back since he... Uh, that horror, like horror head clash with yeah. uh, Devin Luiz. Um, I do think um, there's something about that team that's very interesting. I think they are, like, there is a transitioning happening with them too, and I think that's why they're struggling. There's been a few new players here and there coming in. They have a very, they have a lot of young players, a lot of 18, yep. 19 um, year old players. There's U.S. men's national team player who has been playing for them recently, um, Odawasi. Yeah, he's been playing with them. He's been their kind of central attacking midfielder. He's more of a central defensive midfielder. They've been putting him in that position because they like his energy. Um, and comes up a lot with uh, U.S. internationals, yeah. especially in the midfield. Yeah, um, hard workers. Hard workers generally. Yeah. yeah, and I think you know, there's a lot of, um, you know, I, I, it's been a tough year for them. I think, I, but I do th- expect it them to. Chances and I think also too, uh, Adama Shirey, I think he's had one goal all year or something like yeah. that. He's been he's not been on either. I think well, he's sort of they've struggled. He's a wildly inconsistent player. He's kind of the, the book on him. Well, it's interesting because last year he was very, very good. He was yeah. like very consistent, very yeah. good. And I, I was expecting to have the same sort of season. I, and I think he's had to do a lot because a lot of the team players that he has been he normally yeah. played with have been um, uh, famously. Gone. The story with him is he uh, he came up through the ranks as a right back because at Barcelona. at Barcelona because the Barcelona B team strategy was just give it to Adama back here and let him run with it all the way down the pitch and uh and see if he can he can make things happen um and that so he came he came into the Premier League as a right back and then they were like you're a, you're a winger aren't you um and so that's kind of where he is now He's, he's, I'm glad we're talking about him. He is, he looks like an NFL linebacker. He's, oh, he's, he's huge. Huge. He's huge. 
It's yeah. fun watching him run at defenders who are normally the like big kind of mean guys, and just watching central central defenders being like, "What do I do with this? He's faster than me, and he's gonna throw me around." When Arsenal played <laughs> Wolves uh, uh, this year um, and at home, when Arsenal were at home, they lost two to one to to Wolves. Um, at towards the end of the game, it was like the 89th minute. Yeah. Um, uh, Try got fouled by Rob Holding. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, uh, like, Adama still kind of, he, like, flops around a little bit. Yeah. And, like, he got touched <laughs> by Rob Holding. He went down. And he's, like, and he, like, Rob Holding went, he goes, he screams at the referee. He's, like, he's, like, what do you want me to do with, do with him? He's, <laughs> right. he's built, like, a fucking shit house. Like, you know, like, and it's, like. If he wants to go through me, brick he house, will. Yeah, whatever, right. yeah. Right. He's, like, oh, my goodness. It was just really funny because he was so angry about it and he's like i didn't even do anything and he likes gets he'd throw his lumber at me and i can't and he and right. there's no call but like the other way around is totally right. cool it was just really i actually thought it was really funny because he's you know rob holding is pretty i a pretty i think a genuine kind of honest being. <laughs> right. i always think it's funny when players get like right like what stupid. what am i supposed to do yeah right um yeah. uh yeah, so that's uh, that's Newcastle. Um, uh, what do you what do you expect tonight? Uh, I mean, not tonight, uh, this weekend. Uh, I don't. They're I, home. Newcastle are. Yes, Newcastle are home. A lot of times, that's an advantage. Without fans, unfortunately, it's it's not as much. Um, I'm gonna go. I'm actually I'm gonna be daring this week. You guys have heard me just be nothing but pessimistic. I think it's gonna be a a, a two two draw. Yeah, with Wolves. I think. I that think will. I think uh, Newcastle are going to win 2-1. 2-1? Two one? Two one. Yeah, 2-1. Yeah. I It wouldn't surprise me. Um, I, I can't be that optimistic. I can't. I, you'll never hear me say we're going to well, win. Well, I, I will say this. <laughs> I was encouraged by their performance last week against United. They yeah. actually played really well against United for, for most of the game. I think there are bits and pieces that they missed. I thought Darlow gave up a sort of suspect goal. Uh, first goal was a little rough. But for the most part, I thought they were actually really good. Almiron was excellent again. Um, is, is yeah, he's really good. Lines, he's yeah. playing really well. I thought they attacked pretty well. I thought San Maximo was played pretty well for the most part. He's not even back to full fitness yet. No, he's, he's, he's running on, well. like, one lung right now. Yeah, he's still trying and, to get yeah. through it. And, I, you know, like, I thought, you know, they created chances against United. And I thought they actually held their own. They were, like, in United's zone for good periods of the game. You know, United have superior, like, a far, like, they're attacking depth is so large and huge yeah. and it's tough to constantly compete against that but you know they're you know they're not they weren't that far away from United in that game in that match I think you know that that score was a little deceiving and United had chances Manchester uh, Newcastle United had chances and they didn't take them it's a battle of the Uniteds yeah um yeah it's Newcastle have looked better recently I will say that um it's been about what probably a month mm-hmm. three three weeks where newcastle have it, it looks like they have uh they've turned a corner um results haven't bit. come yet but i do right. think they are going to come and they've had to play some tough teams recently, yeah the so. the football has actually been somewhat encouraging yeah um whereas before we uh, didn't really seem to have too too terribly much of a plan right. and i and i swear i'm not actually uh slamming steve bruce this time it just it is a little bit better than it was. It, he might even be, and this is begrudging, the reason why. Um, but, yeah, so you think 2-1? Oh, 
Oh, I'd take two one. Um, I think it'll be two two. Uh, any combination of the the one and the two, and I will be thoroughly unsurprised about yeah. that yeah, game. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, yeah. But, let's uh, let's get you ready for coffee. Wanna go to coffee you want to you want to go to a coffee house? Let's do. It. I have a question. Yeah. What did they listen to in Vienna, Austria, in 1920? <laughs> so, imagine yourself sitting in Vienna, Austria, at your favorite, favorite locale, coffee house, where your cup entitles you to your seat. You walk in, pay for your coffee, you get your mug, you sit down. And you're not necessarily there to drink the coffee, although it's delicious. You're not there because the ambiance is delightful, although it is. You're there because that's where ideas are being built, where ideas are born. And it's where football found its brain with regards to these uh to being in the coffee house um <laughs> the reason why we're here uh, and why you're here with us is because um back in the 1920s and 30s um there was uh, so much evolution starting to happen in the game and in vienna in the coffee houses uh which were famous for their thinkers and their idea makers um people like Clint and uh, Freud and all these people would be sitting at the coffee house talking about their ideas and all the things that, that make them really, like all the things that, that they wanted to do to change how they saw the world. Um, these people would go to the coffee houses to talk about the football matches and, and not specifically just about the football matches and, and the culture, but also about like all the tackle to, tactical things that would happen in the match. And this is, this is how we're here with you today. We we are hoping that you will sit here with a coffee, with a with a beautiful little cake, and sit around at the round table with us and talk about um, why Atletico struggles or um, what is so amazing about Zlatan or or what is um, why why fans uh, are so uh, desolate uh, rooting for their teams at times. Um, and what it means to go down to be relegated and what it means to be promoted. Um, uh, what Leeds feels like when they're back at the top of their, their sphere. You know, all these things are so very, very important. Um, and this is what would happen at the coffee house. You know, like some people would go to their, their spot and they talk about the tactics of the game. And then the other people would sit there and sing and cheer and, 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 and vibe about different things that were happening in the game. Otherwise, um, you know, like being a ha ha coffee houses were kind of a classy uh, sphere, but there—I mean, also some other things would happen there too. Um, and to to be part of that, um, to be part of that uh, culture, to ride that wave, <laughs> to be part of that uh, time in history, is really important. And we want to bring that here today in the in the in the twenty first uh, century. We want to bring that in twenty twenty. We want to bring that in 2021, in 2022, and um, for just, as long as we possibly can. I just realized I said 2020. I did go to the past in order to come back to the present <laughs> and the future. Hey, we uh, started this in December. <laughs> yeah, um, but 
I find it really important because um, it, in America we don't talk about the game in 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 those sort of ways. Like we just like oh let's go to the game and like cheer on our team. And it's like well what are we gonna cheer on about? Like what are the things that we see that are important to the game now? And um, you know like what are the songs that we can see, see uh, sing to tease the other team? You know we we don't do those sort of things. We just cheer on and we go let's go revs let's go in like this lame way you know and i think there's we can be uh, like a, a, a country that evolves and and grows with our our um, our teams and we have seen it here in america if you go to teams such as seattle and portland and um even the, the u.s men's national team they have their songs and their drums and they're cheering on they're going crazy and i think we can even go further and we can and entrench ourselves in our clubs and and make our um, um, uh, make our rivalries fierce, but also at the same time have our American values of, of uh, you know shaking hands at the end of the game. And Hard work, the game persistence, and, dedication, and 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 show your fandom uh, very much like um, uh, in a similar way as the Europeans do. I'm not saying we need to be like Europeans. That's not that's not what I'm trying to say here. I'm just saying that there's this whole world to to the game that we can't wait to share with you and we hope when you're in the coffee house that we can talk about that um and we hope it can be an honest and open communication about yeah. what what football culture can be could mean in the united states and i'll make sure to bake all of the cakes and delicious desserts that you want <laughs> and i have plenty of wonderful coffee here um just come on in and share your story with us stay um, a while when this does evolve, we, we do hope that we can share conversation with you at the same time. Maybe it will be via uh, messages on an Instagram page or through Twitter. Um, that is our evolution and our journey forward with this as well. Um, but we, we want you to be in our coffee house and we hope to share with you the other parts of the culture, like, like what kind of coffee they were drinking. Vienna. and like the, the desserts no and idea. all of those crazy things <laughs> their friends are putting milk and sugar in coffee that's one thing I did learn oh, okay. that was like okay. kind of their thing um, milk, milk and sugar yeah like you know like like when you go to England and you get a pork pie or you you know like like um, pupusas that uh, when I would play um, in in Springfield in um, yeah, like yeah the Super League I think it was called the Super League yeah and, and they so they would have like a whole truck of people making pupusas and tacos and they'd have music blaring the entire time and the families would sit around and, and all that it was amazing and beautiful and, and wonderful and I think we can develop our own kind of style and culture that is very much uh, like its own thing and unique and, and special and beautiful and um, I only hope that we can in some small way be a part of that. We'll be, be a part of that and to share that with you as best we can. So, thank you for listening for as long as you have. As always, I'm Ryan Whiting. I'm here with my friend Paul Cushing. And uh, we hope to have you again in the coffee house very soon. <laughs>